This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up and SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. I'm Lisa Traeger. And every week we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on. And then we have a guest from the episode. And yeah, we have another great one as always. It's good to be confident. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that from oh. Drag Race. We just had a fun little trip. We just got to go on a little trip to Palm Springs with a couple of our vaccinated pals. Yes. And we had a blast. We did. I did fall one time um, and my knees are bruised, but at least it was in front of a whole group of people I didn't know. You know, that makes <laughs> that made it better. And I did get a pinched nerve that made me unable to walk for most of the weekend. But you know what? Good company makes anything better. It is tough um, to be a parent. I Yeah, <laughs> I don't. You need a vacation from the vacation. Not to sound like I'm 88, but. Well, no, I mean, it's true. It's like, I'm like, is there not a daycare option during this trip? Like, I'm with her now, like the entire trip. And she was being a nutball, but she was having fun. She's obsessed with Lisa. As we've already mentioned, the obsession only grew deeper over the weekend. She's like, Lisa, put on your bathing suit. Lisa, put on your hat. Like My favorite was my friend was holding my phone and Rosie went, is that Lisa's phone? Give it to her. And that was cute. <laughs> well, I think what we're getting is that she's a fucking bossy bitch. Like she's not even like, I don't, she's just like, thinks she knows where everything should go. She also said abacus, which to me is She incredible. has an abacus at home. So she does say, I want my abacus. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to get her prepped in case she gets into a competitive Montessori school. Um, <laughs> I just have to look up what that is. Good job, Rosie. <laughs> 
She recently also started calling things spooky. So she like picked up a book today and go, there was a bug on the back of the book, like a picture of a bug. And she goes, is this a spooky bug? And it's just like really cracking me up that she, I don't know where she learned that. I'm certainly, I don't refer to things as spooky day to day on a non-Halloween setting. So I don't know where she's getting it, but it's cracking me up. I have a beanie baby ghost. Maybe I'll surprise her. Oh my god! Because that's spooky. A spooky fucking beanie baby girl. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. My exes have gotten me really great gifts in the past, and I keep them all. But it is weird, or it's not weird. I get good gifts from people that I've dated. I can't tell if you would be easy to shop for, or of hard course, because you do I like, like a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like if you miss with you, it's a big miss. It's like a it's like a whiff. Like I would I would be like humiliated. But what would you get me that would be a miss? Like I don't know. Like if I got you some Simpsons thing and you were like, this is really fucking lame and it's from China and it's like I've nobody buys this. I don't know. This is a nightmare I'm working through right now. No way. (laughs) I would be excited about everything. And you know that. I was gifted from three separate people, Simpsons Bagu bags. Oh, yes. (laughs) And I've used them all. Yeah. You certainly don't get it. You don't get mad when you get a double gift. That's no, 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 no. Or maybe I'll talk behind your back, but I would never humiliate (laughs) anyone in in front of them. (laughs) Well, thank God. Well, thank God for that. Okay, wait, I wanted to read this message that we got from a listener because I thought it was wild because we, you know, you guys send us a lot of um, memes and TikToks of people dancing to the SVU theme song. Thank you so much. We love them. We also get a lot of lawn and order. <laughs> yes. Like there's so many like plum and order or like lawn and order, like lawn companies and plumbing companies. And I'm like, are you all living in the same city or are there just like multiple of these across the country? And I think that's the second one is the answer. But somebody uh, was responding to us talking about dancing to the theme song and said, um, my husband and I binged SVU in 2010, 2011. And we, of course, danced like maniacs to the theme song. I love that. I love when SVU can bring a couple together. During one such dance off, I hit him in the balls and he was obviously in pain. The pain lingered and his testicle became swollen. He went to the doctor and it ended up being testicular cancer. He has since fully recovered with no further issues, but dancing to the SVU theme song quite literally saved my husband's life. Wow. I thought that was worth a read. I mean, wow, guys, make sure to give your husband a little ball tap every once in a while. Make sure everything's good down there, I guess. That is a good story. Yeah, I thought so. It was a, <laughs> a nice surprise. I'm glad he's OK. Also, yeah. to that, I can't believe she remembers the year that. Oh, because of the cancer, I'm sure. I was <laughs> like, damn, they really pinpointed the exact year they marathoned. But obviously other things were. A play. She has a journal of all the nights that they dance to the theme song. Yeah. It's also um, now that we're living so close to each other is I am scared everyone will get sick of me. No. What are you talking about? I kept going to the Joyce's house, popping in and they have full jobs. And he 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 just kept being like, I'm on a conference call. And I'm like, <laughs> just to pop in. <laughs> Roll me a joint. <laughs> That's my goal, actually, uh, to the Wait, listeners. who is that? Like, what ki- what is that like Steve Urkel or like what ca- what characters yeah, are like Kimmy Gibbler? By? Yeah, you're a Gibbler. You're an Urkel. You're, yeah. Aunt Jackie. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, hopefully one day I'll book one of those Patton Oswald side King of Queens <laughs> roles. <laughs> it's like my dream. I want to be a book. Yeah. Yeah. You as a crazy, you as like a crazy wacko neighbor, I think really works. 
Calling all casting directors. I mean, you have the goofiest neighbor. I still have never met him. Oh, so my neighbor drunk dialed me twice over the weekend while we were in Palm Springs. I was like, why are you calling me? Um, And he didn't say why. Like I texted him and said, is everything okay?" And he's like, I'm out of town. And he said, no problem. I'll keep an eye on your house. And I'm like, but you still haven't explained why you called me on Saturday night. He never calls me. And then it turns out I found out from his wife that he thought thought I was having the baby and that's fine. But why are you calling me? You think I'm having the baby and I'm picking up a phone call from you like in between bushes? Like what? No, what after one of my sister's births, like some casual friends just showed up at the hospital and were quickly turned away. My sister's <laughs> like, are you out of your fucking mind? We don't want to see you. We go yeah. out to dinner twice a month. This is not <laughs> a true friendship. I was actually obsessed with those friends because the husband looked like Edward Norton. Oh, which was a thing for me uh, a decade or so ago. Well, that's <laughs> complicated more. with the American history acts of it all. But uh, as a joke, no, I, but- I had a joke about that. <laughs> that I, he looked the hottest in the Nazi movie. I forgot the punchline, but it, there was one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, because yeah. I bought all this gear of his. And so then I had all these buttons with him as a Nazi. Cool. That just did it more for you. That just made you, it was like more forbidden, like, but like the bad guy in, in school. No, I, the tattoo, I, it sucks. But yeah, I liked the <laughs> muscles and there was an epic sex scene in the start of that movie. But I, I think the racism should have affected me more but (laughs) i also would rather this is controversial but i would rather a cover-up of a nazi tattoo than a giant jew letter tattoo what which is fucked up like if i met like a dude and he had a giant hamsa on his body i would be very turned off even though i do have hebrew letters tattooed on the back of my neck but you are really (laughs) just an an enigma wrapped in a riddle erica jane i mean like what (laughs) it's that I don't know. There's something about giant. Oh, actually, we have a friend. Noah has Jew letters on top of his penis. Giant. But it says, like, I am the, the soul in the light. I have to text him. Like, he has, a, like, no Wait, like, in self. his, like, p- like, above his pubic bone, kind of? Yes. Yeah. Uh, over his stomach, like, uh, opposite tramp stamp. And it, it says, like, <laughs> know thyself in Hebrew. Above his An neck. opposite tramp stamp is the best way to call that, <laughs> that place. A reverse tramp stamp. <laughs> well, there's, there are, yeah, snatch patch and vag badge. Because I have a vag badge. I've never heard of those words. You have a tattoo right there over your lady parts? Yeah. um, I got it when I was 16 in a person's apartment. Oh, wow. I've never seen that one. You wear high-waisted bathing suits around me. Yeah, I'll get naked more often. Um, <laughs> it mean, is it's weird I haven't seen it because you pee when we're on FaceTime all the time. So <laughs> yeah. it is weird that I haven't seen that. Yeah, sometimes I'll like be calling her as I'm sitting down to pee. And it's like, could you not have waited? A Can I get the sister? consent first? Ask <laughs> just I'm going to always say yes, but just you should get consent. And I get offended when I'm talking on the phone and someone's like, well, I have to go to the bathroom. I have to go. And I'm like, I'll come with you. Like, I don't. <laughs> why are you hanging up on me? This doesn't have to end. Um, but what does have to end is us talking right now. I know, but I just wanted to say we watched old seasons of New York Housewives on our trip and like a fine wine. I mean, it never gets old. Yeah, we watched the original Berkshires. We watched the Berkshires pre-Dorinda with Heather. Yeah, when Ramona says, is that your house or your garage? Oh, she's such a nightmare. She is, but also I learned from you guys that the women keep shitting themselves on that show because they're on laxatives for dieting purposes. Yeah, they're all like trapped in like 1983. 
I didn't know that. I just, you know, but that's why there's a rumor that Ramona shits during sex. They sh- they she shot on multiple vacations. They always blame like the local cuisine. It's like I've been to Colombia. The water's fine. Like you're not shitting <laughs> your pants there. A little tum tum ache from I don't know something that you're not used to, but I don't think you're shitting fully on the floor. That's because you're taking laxatives. Yeah. So I don't know if anyone else knew that, but I like <laughs> to learn that. <laughs> Do we not have any other Palm Springs highlights? Except I fell. We watched Old Housewives. I mean, I ate Oreos, which was like great. No one should buy Oreos ever. Once you pop, you can't stop. Oh, well, I got us our tarot cards read. <gasps> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was and cool. I should give a shout out. to. I, I did this as like it was our friend's birthday coming up. Her birthday's actually today. It was her birthday coming up. So I did it as sort of a birthday gift to her and to all the girls. I got everybody uh, like a Zoom tarot reading. And her name is Kristen Rand. She's a stand up comedian who does tarot readings. And she's so fucking great. And we're going to put her link in the this was like a perfect. You could just do this for fun for yourself or you could do it as like a little group party thing i love her and i'd love to give her a little shout out she was very good a few of us left the casita with tears um so that was well she gets to the real shit she told me some interesting stuff about my coming baby but i'm not gonna reveal it here we'll see what happens once i have the baby no she was really (laughs) good um that was a really nice gift for us and now here's a really and nice our gift. Friend, hold on. And our friend made <laughs> Just seafood. Just trying to end it, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say our friend Lane made uh, crab hush puppies that were Michelin star level. Yeah. I mean, the best hush puppies. Not dry at all. He's a talent. There was a delicious dipping sauce with it. Oh, my God. So good. Oh, we ate well on that trip. But now let's dive into today's episode because it's a good one. All right, let's get into today's episode, which is Vulnerable. That is season four, episode three. So kind of an early guy. Um, We open on a couple asleep in their New York apartment being awoken by someone rummaging outside in their kitchen. The guy tells his wife, call 911. But this episode is so old that they actually just have a cordless phone and it's not on the cradle. So people aren't fully addicted addicted to their cell phones quite yet. Um, he grabs a gun. She grabs a bat. They head to this ki- to their kitchen where they find this sweet old lady rummaging through the fridge. And she's like, is that you, Itsy? My favorite part is um, the woman goes, who's Itsy? And then the guy says, who's this? Like, the, I just love that so much. That yeah, she, it's a little bit of comedy. There's which, also a woman here. <laughs> yeah. Which we recently have discovered that the man is Bobby Kelly with hair, who is a New York City comedian that both of us have. I think worked with tangentially. He's very funny. Yeah, a very funny guy. Wait, that so, was actually Bobby Kelly? Sorry. Yeah, that was Bobby Kelly. With hair. Yeah. I checked out his IMDb. Oh my God. Yeah, isn't that wild? <laughs> wow. So now we've got Benson and Sabler on the scene. They don't know this old, li- old lady's name because she's senile. Whether she knows it or is withholding it, we don't really know yet. She climbed through the window of this house. Uh, Olivia sh- walks in. We've got a very short dude. It's like a little longer than her pixie. But I would say it's a traditional, quote unquote, boy haircut. Uh, Very short. And then she goes right into like very sweet Olivia Benson caretaker mode. Tries to get Granny Doe to open up, which is what they've been calling her Granny Doe. (laughs) She just keeps saying that she needs to talk to Itzy. Benson pretends that she's actually spoken to Itzy. And then the woman opens up and confesses to being raped. Olivia pulls down the woman's nightgown a little bit in the front. And they discover like pretty horribly that she has about nine cigarette burns all over her chest 
and Stabler goes, someone used her for an ashtray. And then we're out of the cold open. I'm also thinking I might get granny dough tattooed on my body. (laughs) I really like it. Just unidentified old ladies. <laughs> That's the Lisa Traeger promise. Well, one time I, I'm actually glad I didn't do it, but I was going to get Lucy Lucy apple juice tattooed from Beverly Hills. And I'm glad I didn't. Do yeah, it. I'm really, really glad you didn't do that. I was talking to you about that. And <laughs> I think we we all made the right decision. <laughs> um, So we're at the hospital and uh, the woman treating Bess is a beautiful young doctor who tells them that basically this woman has no abrasions, no fluids, but they did do a rape kit. They have to wait for the results. They said she had 12 raw burns on her breasts and genitals. I didn't catch that the first time I watched the episode. I watched it a couple times and oh my God, so awful. The doctor says she probably has Alzheimer's, so no short-term memory. And she doesn't think that she'll come around with any more details about what's happened to her. Uh, Benson is shocked that Granny Doe hasn't been admitted to the hospital. And the doctor is essentially like, I'm triaging her. Like, she doesn't need immediate treatment. She needs long-term care. And she also has a very short haircut. So it's kind of like the battle of the pixie cuts, these two. They bring this uh, old woman back to the precinct and try to talk to her there. She's confused and accuses Olivia of stealing her purse, which I I think is kind of a cute moment. Um, The woman eventually begins to recount her rape and she says that the man who did it stays in her house because he lost all his money investing. He drinks every night. Then she gets kind of lost mid conversation, starts eating a cracker and is like, what happened? Like, you know, it's 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 sad. And then Munch weighs in and is like, when the steel trap starts to rust, call Kevorkian and Ice T's like, consider that done. So these two freaking these I don't want to say Lucy and Ethel. Who are they? Like like Statler freaking frack. Freaking frack. Yeah. Is that the term? I don't know. <laughs> Tom and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> so uh Munch and Finn head to uh they meet this nerdy gay archivist. He I mean he doesn't say he's gay, but he's really into Census Bureau information. And they uh track down the family who used to live in that apartment. And it's a family with three little girls, Lilith, Isabel, and Millie. They go speak to Millie. She's out gardening. She says both of her sisters have passed away. But then when when, uh, Benson mentions the name Itzy, she remembers that her sister Isabel and her best friend Bess McIntyre went by Itzy and Bitsy, which is so cute, I think. She also reveals that Bess used to climb into the window in the middle of their night of their apartment to kind of escape from her quote unquote funny uncle, which I've heard that phrase before. And it's it's very unfunny, but just an uncle who was molesting her. Yeah, there's like memes I see all the time where it's like, instead of telling your daughter to put on clothes or to stay away from funny uncle, don't fucking invite him into your home. Like, right. Reject the funny uncle. Sure. Um, Back at the precinct, um, they speak to the old woman and they confirm that she is Bess. She admits that the rapist she was referring to was her uncle and that he lost all his money in 1929 when everybody did. So now we're basically getting the picture that she was molested as a child and that's what she's been recounting. But, you know, obviously those cigarette burns are not from 1929. So she, you know, she needs to, we need to figure out where those came from. So Benson's like, who's hurting you now? And unfortunately this um, best just loses the thread of the conversation again. She just can't really keep up. A blessing from Captain Cragen is that the rape kit comes back negative. Huang comes in having just spoken to Bess Love his diagnosis all the time, always waiting for Huang to open his mouth and tell us what's going on. He says the attack that just happened to her recently triggered the memories of her childhood assaults. So she went looking for her childhood friend and they're like, well, who is she running from now? And 
Huang says, I doubt she'll ever be able to tell you. So the good news is her rapist uncle was arrested and sent to jail for five counts of rape and was killed in prison in 1957. So it's not like he's still hanging around. Um, Huang says we're looking for a sadist, someone who enjoys the torture, and he's not sure if it's sexual or anger based. It's somebody who's young, socially stunted and chooses old women because of feelings of inadequacy. So Finn looks up Bess's social security and finds the, the uh, assisted living facility where the checks are going is called Jubilee Towers. So obviously they head to Jubilee Towers. Olivia is like pretty upscale for a nursing home. And then the employee swoops in and corrects her and says, it's not a nursing home. It's an assisted living facility. This is Hope Garrett, assistant administrator, played by legendary actress Mary Kay Place. I love her. Obsessed. Me too. I've been watching her since I was a kid. She's so funny. She plays Maria Bamford's mom in Lady Dynamite. Go look up her work. She's so, so great. She tells them that Bess isn't missing from their facility. She was released two weeks ago to the custody of her son, Joe Sherman. Sorry, I was in like um, a trance because I was like, where, do, where did I just see her? And, you know, I got very obsessed last week with Bravo's scripted show, The Imposters. And she's and on that? She is in that. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> that was thrilling. Um, it, it Whatever. I'm stuck. Another Lisa Traeger wreck. <laughs> I enjoy they, co- it. they come at you. They come at you from anywhere and you just got to be ready to grab them. Well, what I loved about it is it is like suspense and um, undercover and spies and grifting, but it's casual. <laughs> it's not like as intense as like the Americans or something. It's like a Bravo version of the Americans. Probably. Yes. So yeah. it like gave me the suspense I needed, but also like the silliness and like kind of, I wouldn't say bad writing, but <laughs> Because I want a season three, you know? Yeah, I love how you tweeted, when is season three coming out? And everyone tweeted you, that show was canceled three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so Benson and Stabler show up at the home of Joe Sherman, Bess's son. The super lets them in. He's got a beeper and he's got a lot of information, okay? He's like, this is not his apartment. It's Bess's apartment. It's rent controlled. It's $350 a month. Mr. Sherman is an off-again, on-again smoker. Since she's been back at his house, the repo men have stopped coming and the deliveries have started. Here's a big screen TV, a couch, chairs, media center. There's a professional camera on a tripod that's just, I don't know, ready to go in case someone gets the mood to photograph. Uh, But so anyway, the super knows a lot of information. He's one of my favorite kinds of characters, just like my super in New York would have known nothing about me. And they're always like, what's their relationship like? It's like a little up and down. They always kind of know what's going on. I mean, in New York, I had full on carbon monoxide poisonings time and time again. And my super said, how dare you call 911? You're a dumb bitch. Uh, So (laughs) that's what my experience in New York was like. Yeah. Um, But Stabler's going through all the guys stuff. CD, DVD, stereo, video, got a TiVo, which is like supposed to be impressive. It's very 2002 in this apartment. Um, They find Bess's room. There are restraints on her bed, which is. I mean, just creepy. Joe Sherman then barges in. He's played by Jay Thomas, who's been in a ton, ton, ton of stuff. He's won. He won an Emmy for a character he played on Murphy Brown. And um, he just has like that really great like slime ball look, sort of like slick Rick kind of look. He doesn't even know his mom is gone. He's like, where is she? Like, he doesn't (laughs) even know she's gone missing. Uh, Meanwhile, she's been to like six locations with Benson and Stabler, and he has no idea his mom's even gone. They bring Joe to the precinct. He says he doesn't smoke. Uh, They show him photos of his mom's bruised wrists. And he's like, she's never bruised before. And he says he uses the restraints because she wanders at night. 
I know my grandfather uh, had Alzheimer's and my grandmother had to build a fence around the property to keep him from wandering off. So you do have to take precautions, but I don't know that restraints, I don't know what the moral and ethical implications of restraints are, but it doesn't feel right. He denies being the one who burned her and says he didn't leave her chained up all day. He says the housekeeper comes in the morning, makes her breakfast, wakes her up, takes care of her. But Maria didn't come or call. And uh, he says he pulled her out of Jubilee Towers a couple of weeks earlier because they were draining her. She was paying 7K a month. And I guess if she pays 350 a month at home, he's like, that's $6,700 that could be going into my pocket, you know? And I know seven grand is a lot, but they probably feed them and all the medicine and their activities. It kind of seemed like a normal price, too. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the prices of nursing homes and assisted living facilities, but I do know that they can get pricey, especially in Manhattan. Like like anything in Manhattan, it's going to be more, you know? Yeah. So um, Joe's like, I'm leaving and I'm taking my mother with me. And Benson's like, um, my ass you are. Uh, so she pushes Cabot to find a charge. She's like endangerment, something. So Cabot gets a protective order to place Bess back in Jubilee Towers and also freezes all his mother's accounts and assets. So Joe's like, piss because obviously his mom is his cash cow um they check in with the housekeeper maria i have to say this episode has a thousand scenes so i try to stay with us like they literally go to so many locations uh full tank of gas used on this episode with the nypd so they check in on the housekeeper maria she said that she showed up and then no one was there so he assumed that he had taken his mother to the doctor or something and um you know they ask about the burn she says no that's not something i've ever seen but that uh, he does speak harshly to her when he gets stressed out. And that this past Monday, he was very stressed out because he was having a party and everything needed to be perfect for the party. Let's get into the party. Benson and Stabler go visit Joe at his office for who the fuck knows Incorporated. I mean, I don't know. It's like this random office. You like he has a secretary. You have no idea what he sells or what he does. He's pissed that his funds have been shut down. He's like, this is a startup business and my mom is a key investor. He refuses to give the names of his investors who are at the party. Like, even though one of these people could be the person who burned his mother's genitals, he's like, I'm not telling you who it was. They are giving me money for my new business idea. What an insane person. They think maybe, oh, maybe Bess came out and embarrassed him at the party or did something that caused him to punish her. But, you know, he's he's not giving up any information. So... We cut to Munch and Finn, a great scene of Munch and Finn just digging through trash from Joe's place in an alley, you know? I just can't. This is uh, the most far-fetched thing, and I love it. <laughs> There's no way fucking Ice-T is getting into a garbage can. I know. Um, and digging through trash. And does no one pick up the trash? It's just like, do cops do this? I do want to know how often they are fully going into dumpster dives. Well, this is what's crazy. They're going through it, and and Munch goes, oh, we got Lick Magazine, we got Hair Dive for Men, and kind of anal ointment and then finn goes will you just keep looking for the guest book the guest book like <laughs> i had a guest book at my wedding and like 20 people signed it like guest books are so antiquated and if you had one would you throw it away in the trash the night of the party what a weird thing that's just such a weird piece of writing that got put in i am gonna add trash police that's how they caught the golden state killer they got a kleenex out of his trash can to get his dna so I but it was just they, a trash was like, can no, well, no, it is trash can behind. Oh, not a dumpster for a full building. Yes. Yeah, they're not going in. They're yes. like they're treating it like a hot tub. I feel well, like. I, guess, I guess also Maria told them I threw away three bags with yellow ties. So they're looking for these specific oh. three bags of trash. So it's a little bit. It's not a full dumpster dive. It's like they're looking for these three bags of trash. So 
But and still. you would think they would put on like a hazmat suit, like a, some little booties. They're truly like he's in a leather jacket. Like, yeah, there was just yeah. no prep for the garbage dive. <laughs> it's just wild. My issues is that they're looking for a guest book anyway. And in New York, is it looked like it was an alley. I've never seen a dumpster in my life in New York. No, that's so true. And there are no, there really aren't alleys in New York. There no. are alleys in Chicago, and I, that used to always kill me because I told you the one time I ever saw Law and Order being filmed, it was trial by jury. It was outside of my apartment and a couple doors down for me, there was a little space between two apartments, but not anywhere that anyone would ever go unless you weren't like going to just throw trash away. And they were like pulling a suspect out of there. And I was like, I love how they have to just find alleys because there just aren't a lot of alleys in New York. Well, because one of the hardest things moving to New York from Chicago is I am a frequent peer and <laughs> alleys are very helpful for that. Yeah, If you pee in New York, you got to pee in between cars and you just got to get used to it. That, yep. Um, I'm a very out big outdoor peer. Okay. So yeah. So then as they're going through the garbage, Munch finds like a big, like newspaper wrapped bunch of cigarette butts. I can like smell this scene when I'm watching it, like just old butts, garbage. And so that's like the sort of jackpot find that they get. Now we're at the forensic tech's office. She is a very strange person. I don't know if she's ever been on the show before. She has a very sultry voice and delivery, and she's a forensic tech, but you can tell she probably does Broadway. I don't think this is how lab techs talk, but maybe I don't know enough of them. She's like, I've been testing your cigarette butts. Like, she just has a very... Like she's um, in a murder mystery or something. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I guess she is in a murder mystery. She though. is in a murder mystery, but very clue. It's very clue. So they think they're not going to find anything. And sexy tech is like, not really. Ninhydrin. And shows them how she sprays this stuff called ninhydrin on the butts and it can pull fingerprints. So now Finn and Munch are at a car dealership questioning a salesman who was at the party. He basically says, I never saw the mother, but he spills that Joe is hawking a horse racing program. That's his new get rich quick scheme. He's also had like a llama ranch and all these other crazy ideas. Like his ideas are habitual failures. And he said that, oh, his mother was his principal backer until two years ago. She caught him off. Joe went broke. She moves back in. Suddenly he has the money again. We've already kind of established this, so I don't really know the point of this scene. Like, they could have just said, hey, we talked to a guy who told us this, and it would have been, like, saved you setting up a full scene at a car dealership, but whatever. Uh, everybody needs those scenes for their reels, as I've said before. Joe shows up at the precinct. He's pissed that the, that the cops are going around talking to all his investors. He's like, my investors are pulling out. You guys are ruining me. And they're like, we pulled your financials. And he's like, the only thing I take from my mom is rent. And he's like, what about all, uh, Olivia's like, what about all these checks made out to cash? And Joe looks at them and goes, Andy. And they're like, who's Andy, your partner or whatever? And he's like, no, my college dropout son. He's like, him and his deadbeat friend showed up uninvited to the party and he needed a place to sober up. They go to New Jersey to question Andy. This scene is so funny. Andy is shirtless on his bed. Looking like he's having a seizure, but I guess he's just listening to music. He's just banging his hands on the bed and listening to rock and roll. I don't know what's going on. And so they obviously like turn up the music really loud in his headphones to get his attention because he doesn't notice two full strangers have walked into his room. And they're like, we heard you're a college dropout. He's like, is that what my dad told you? Of course, I had to drop out of college when my dad drained my college fund that my grandma set up for me. And he's sort of trying to be like, my grandma's the only one that cares about me. I love her. I would never hurt her. But he does admit that 
my grandma gives me presents or whatever, which I think is referring to these checks. Listen, that's what grandparents are for. I'm sorry. It's to give your grandkids money and presents. Sure, that's but I don't think is. when your grandma's senile, you go in and make her sign checks to you like five times a month. That's a little bit much. Listen, I'm on Andy's side. I don't think he's pushing her to it. I think she would want to do this. Okay. I like Andy. She doesn't even know her own name when the cops come to her and you think that the son should just be giving five times monthly gifts. Okay. We disagree, and that's what's going to happen. It's okay. Uh, okay, so they're like, what about the guy that you came to the party with? And they're like, um, he's like, oh, Hal? And they're like, does he smoke? Yeah, he does. He doesn't know if Hal was ever alone with his grandma because he kind of passed out a little bit. And it turns out Hal works at Jubilee Towers, baby. So the next scene is... Not great. We open up on Hal fighting with a sad old wheelchair-bound man, and he's screaming at him like, leave me alone! <laughs> and um, Benson and Stabler show up, and the old man's like, he's trying to kill me! They question Hal, uh, and Hal's like, this guy's a troublemaker. Like, there's so many troublemakers. I got a lot of work to do. And they're like, what about Bess? And they're like, no, Bess is a dream, he says. And we see her outside just in the courtyard chatting with Munch and Finn. And... Hal denies doing anything to her best. And he's like, I got to go. I've got lives to save. It's like, you are an orderly at a nursing home. I mean, I'm sure you have the opportunity to save a life, but you are not God. Um, okay. So at the top of act three, they're speaking to hope Mary Kay place MKP about Hal's record. He's worked there a year. He's only had one serious complaint who is Mr. Jackson, who accused Hal of trying to suffocate him. But Mr. Jackson is senile. We investigated. We didn't find anything. And they're like, why would you hire Hal? He like does not seem like a people person. And she's like, I mean, it's a very low paying job. Not a lot of people are into wiping adults butts for, you know, their profession. Minimum so. wage. Yeah. Minimum wage. So Finn and Munch go talk to Mr. Jackson and he seems pretty with it. I, love I will him. say he's amazing. He's painting. And when Munch and Finn walk up to him, he goes, you the nude models I ordered. Amazing. <laughs> He says Hal is a serial killer, that he pinches him all the time. And that so one time Mr. Jackson bit him and Hal cut off his oxygen and said, you're going to die, old man. Then he goes a little bit left and tells them that Hal stopped doing it because the clan rooms the hall at night and calls them the sheet people. So we're, we get that he's got moments of lucidity. Like, I truly believe what he says about Hal, but then he veers into thinking that the ghosts of the clan are in his room uh, halls at night. So but no one can say that they're not. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. We cannot be sure that Klansmen are not roaming the halls of the this. ghosts. We can't just deny that there's ghosts chasing. <laughs> You're right. I don't want to be a ghost denier. You're right. You're right. The next scene, we're at this beauty parlor. We get these funny two old ladies gossiping. Um, they're very funny and cute and New Yorky. Uh, and then this, this one lady explains that when she woke up after she had had surgery, so she's like, we get the idea that she's been a little bit doped up from her surgery. She thought she was being suffocated. She started clawing and then it stopped. And then Hal was standing there scratched and bleeding. And she, then he said, oh no, you're hallucinating. So that's sketchy. So they basically are, they're, pu they're put, painting this picture of Hal now. Uh, at the precinct where they're like, he pinches residents, he hides their dentures, all the victims are doped up or senile. So he's obviously picking and choosing who he's messing with. Um, and then Cabot shows up with this uh, suit that was a negligence claim against Jubilee Towers for $10 million. It was settled with an NDA and everyone at Jubilee Towers is named in the suit, probably including Hope, including Hal, everybody we've met so far. Hope and Hal seems like a sitcom. Yeah, that's true. 
uh, a psychotic, <laughs> a psychotic sitcom set at a nursing home. Uh, Dahlia Brown is the name of the woman who died in the suit, and Cabot is already working on an exhumation order. So right away, we're getting a dug-up body. They exhume the body. Warner's doing her thing. She's like, the skin is in perfect condition. Unfortunately, I didn't really know this about, about uh, undertaking or embalming. Is like, they flush out all your blood and replace it with formaldehyde. I guess I kind of knew that. I just didn't know all your blood Did you away. not watch Six Feet Under? No, I need to watch it. I know, I know. Everybody tells me it's like the greatest show on earth. My sister's obsessed. But that takes all blood toxicology out of play now because her blood is gone. Uh, she checks for other toxicology. Nothing's there. And the death certificate said cardiac arrest, which she says is what Emmys put. We, we put that when we really don't know what happened, but we don't suspect foul play. But we heard in our episode of Lost Traveler that sometimes they don't even put that. Remember, there was a person that died and they just didn't even have anything. So I thought that was interesting. Melinda did notice a puncture wound on the woman's arm that was not noted in the report and was like a fresh puncture wound. So good eye. Um, Elliot and Olivia are back talking to Mary Kay Place about how they settled with Dahlia's family. They checked her records and her last meal was delivered by somebody with the initials HS, Hal Shipley. And as they're waiting for Hope to give them more information, there's a code blue and there's this actress who goes, quick, get the crash cart. Really bad. Sorry, really bad extra work. I'm sorry if that's somebody's aunt or grandma or something, but that was not great. Um, and it's room 410, which is Bess's room. They go to Bess's room. Hope is leaving the room and she's all flustered. And she's like, you were right. It was Hal. Uh, I saw like I called him into my office after I spoke to you. I fired him. He was furious and he stormed out. I was worried about Bess. So I came to check on her. I saw Hal leaving the room and Bess was just low pulse struggling. So I started CPR on her. Olivia, as they're wheeling Bess out, notices that she has a fresh needle mark on her arm. All the elements are coming together. So they track down Hal while he's taking a smoke break and ask him to account for his whereabouts for the last 15 minutes. And he's like, I was in the stock room taking inventory. Like he has no, he's not sweating this at all. No, I feel, I get the vibe from him that his parents didn't believe in him. Yes, that's very, very, that seems very accurate. And he either like come down for questioning to the station and he's like, am I under arrest? Then no. And then Stabler just like kicks his chair and he's like, okay, I'll come. <laughs> what? Like, okay, you were right. You don't have to go. And then I wrote in my notes, Olivia grabs his butt. But what I mean is Olivia takes his cigarette butt that he throws out. So she grabs that for, um, you know, fingerprints, DNA, et cetera. Hal's fingerprint is a match for one of the butts at the party. And then they say to him, but how many butts had seared flesh on the end? But we actually found out earlier from the sexy CSU tech that all flesh would have been burnt off the cigarette because cigarettes burn at like 800 degrees or something crazy. So there wouldn't have been any flesh, but they're just bluffing this guy. And I love it because they're like, Ice-T goes, We're, there's not any flesh on these cigarettes. And Cragen goes, oops. <laughs> just a great Cragen moment. Cop games. <laughs> uh, so they're like, that sucks. No confession, no plea bargain. So then Hal starts to just sort of like, you know, give it all up. He admits to burning Bess. He said, Andy owed him money. And they're like, for what? And he's like, nothing to do with this. And the cops just let that go. Okay. <laughs> so he's like, I can't, I kept seeing Andy uh, getting money from grandma Bess, like pulling out the checks. And so he thought he would go back in and try it. When he did, she yells rape, just like she used to do at the home when he'd help dress her, which is obviously a response to her childhood trauma as well. 
So he goes over to quiet her down. He's smoking a cigarette in the old lady's bedroom. I don't know. He's got a lit cigarette in his hand that accidentally burns her. She starts screaming even more and he snaps and he goes, I'll show you rape. And that's when he continues to burn her and pulls up her nightgown and burns her and all this like horrible stuff. I feel like that's a really crazy snap and he should go away for a long time to jail. Um, he says he never saw her that whole day. He never saw Bess. And that when she coded, he was in the stock room and he can prove it. So they find out that Hal was stealing drugs from the drug computer. If you ever watched, <laughs> if you ever watched Nurse Jackie, you kind of know that they get these like hardcore drug computers that dispense the certain amount of drugs so that people cannot abuse these machines. So he was inputting all these fake nurse codes at a certain, at the time that Bess coded. So he does have an alibi for the moment of that she was, um, you know, quote unquote attacked at Jubilee Towers. They're poking around and they find out that Hope has a little bit of a reputation for saving patients. She has saved, besides Bess, two other patients. Meanwhile, we see that Joe is pulling Bess out of Jubilee Towers. Andy's there, too. He's like, I'll bring you some other brochures for other nursing homes, Grandma. Like, And meanwhile, Bess keeps telling Joe to shut the fuck up. She's like, can somebody shut this man up? I hate him. Like her own son. She's like, stop, make him stop. And he tells Olivia that the protective order's been dropped, so he's allowed to take her out. And Olivia says, oh, I heard the misappropriation of funds investigation is just beginning. So then Hope walks in, and she tells Joe how... Bess is one of her favorites and nothing's going to happen to her while she's here. And then we kind of see Olivia. We get a close up on Olivia just noticing like something is off here. So then she starts talking to Hope about, oh, you've saved all these patients except for that one man who died. And uh, Hope's like telling this very sketchy story about how she tried to revive the man. He was already dead, but she started doing CPR on him anyway. It's just a very... It just feels like she's lying. She's kind of uh, switching back and forth between details. And um, we go back to the precinct where Olivia's like, this woman's a wacko, something's up. And Huang is explaining malignant hero syndrome, which is when someone sets up a dangerous situation so they can swoop in and save the day like a fireman setting fires. It's essentially like Munchausen by proxy. It's just not with your own kid. It's like you're endangering somebody else and then saving them. Being a hero is intoxicating because one time our friend Mike Joyce, he lost his glasses in the ocean and I was like, I'm going to be a hero right now. And in the fucking ocean, I reached down and I found his glasses and <laughs> I put I put my hand up into the sky and I swear, I mean, I'm this is this was six years ago. I'm still talking about it. It did feel amazing. And I did save the day. I just understand people that want to be heroes because it does. It does feel good. It does feel good. But yeah, don't put people in danger. Um. So Bess's talk screen shows that she had epinephrine in her system. So this is Huang looking at the file being like, why does she have epinephrine in her system? And that's what they give you when your heart stops. And I believe that's also what's in like an EpiPen when you get, you know, stung by a bee or have a shellfish reaction. Huang said that she wouldn't have needed that because if CPR got her heart started again, we just we wouldn't have needed that. And it was not noted in her chart that she was given that. So that would definitely speed up her heart rate and mimic a heart attack. So that's very sketchy. We look into Hope's past a little bit, and she was a nurse, so she would know how to administer something like epinephrine. And she worked at Oak Glade Nursing Home, and her license was revoked 15 years ago for gross negligence for failure to dilute potassium chloride doses. We're back at Jubilee Towers, and Elliot and Olivia bust in on uh, Mary Kay Place, uh, Hope, giving a tour. 
And they said, well, Hal's prints weren't on any of the syringes, but we found your prints on one of the syringes of Epi at the nurse's station. And she's like, why are you trying to embarrass me? People can hear you. So it's, you know, that's sort of like a, I think that's like an interesting line that they put in about how she really cares how people perceive her. You know, she wants to be perceived as the hero. She doesn't want to be embarrassed. You know, she's very into this upscale uh, assisted living facility that she works in and her reputation and all that. So they arrest her. And then in the final scene, we're at trial. Melinda Warner is testifying that she examined the records of 22 deaths between 1982 and 1987 at Oak Glade, the old nursing home she worked at, and found evidence of potassium poisoning in seven of them. Uh, it wasn't originally discovered because people expect the elderly to die. And I guess autopsies are only performed in one out of 25. If anyone listening knows that there are more current stats on that, let me know, because that seems like Oh, that seems like not that many autopsies. I mean, I know people are, you know, eventually die, but I don't families want to know why. I don't know. Um, so and when cells when cells die, they release potassium. So it would have been undetectable. She found it by examining EKGs and basically discovered she says a bunch of medical mumbo jumbo. But in layman's terms said that it all showed that all of their hearts were beating too fast. None of them had kidney disease, so the potassium was definitely introduced to them from an outside source, someone administering a lethal dose. A hope interrupts with like a big thing like, doctors fuck up all the time. You have no idea. I cover their asses. And then um, Warner also reveals that in every single one of these seven cases of death, Hope Garrett was the administering nurse. Um, she totally flips out and is like, they were at death's door. And then she goes to cabin. I help people. What do you do? You stupid bitch. It's a great, <laughs> I just love the line. It's so good. Um, we love Cabot too. This is a great Cabot episode. She's so gorge and perfect. And basically, uh, hope is just having a full breakdown. Her lawyer's telling her to calm down. They have to, they have to take the jury out. Hope is freaking out. And she's like, I didn't kill anyone. Maybe a few of them wouldn't pull through for me, but I have saved hundreds. And she's screaming all this as she's being escorted out by the bailiffs and then created by Dick Wolf. I think, you know, that's actually my dream role now on SVU. I want to be carried out by a bailiff. <laughs> yeah. After a breakdown. Have I think that's the best. absolute freak attack until you're <laughs> yeah. carried out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I could see you handling that easily. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's the episode. I, I'm sorry if I rushed through it. They just literally went to 75 different locations in this episode. Um, and there was just a lot going on. But ultimately, you know, heartbreaking because there really is so much elder abuse that goes on with, with poor elderly people. And um, Lisa's going to take us into that world, I believe, as soon as we come back from the break. <laughs> Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. 
Sean, this is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. All right, welcome back. So we're going to be talking about a murderous fucking nurse. Um, Her name is Kristen Gilbert. And this takes place in about 1995 is when the investigation and like this starts. And I watched Snapped and I've never seen Snapped. So it was pretty thrilling. Um, And there was one investigator. uh, They started like he was called in around 2006 and he was really excited. He goes, I'll never forget it because it was a leap year. And I just like a grown man being thrilled that it was a a leap year. So Kristen worked at a VA hospital in Northampton, Massachusetts, and it's like a super chill town. Yeah, Northampton I've been to many times, and it's very, it's like lesbian folk rock capital, like very cool. It's like where um, Smith is there, I believe, Smith College. Like there's just a lot of great, it's just a cute ass little town. Yeah. So the murder rate is basically zero. There's Mm -hmm. a murder like one every two years. Um, But all of a sudden the death rate spiked and it was all because of the veterans hospital. Very suspicious. And Dr. Greg Blackman, um, one of Kristen's coworkers, said it's pretty alarming the amounts of codes and deaths because usually they expect veterans to get better and leave. It's not um, it's not a place it, like I said, it's a chill fucking town, chill hospital, um, just coming in for help and leaving. So to get a little background on Kristen, there was a few uh, professionals and they said like it's kind of classic for women killers where she was just a uh, obsessed with attention. She liked being the center of attention all the time, no matter what it took. She once lied that and said her mom was an abusive alcoholic. She was just always like making shit up. If boyfriends broke up with her, she said she was going to kill herself. Um, you know, I don't know if we all know someone like that or not. I definitely <laughs> do. But yeah, she's a chronic liar and manipulator. And with people like this, like no attention's enough and they'll do whatever it needs to do that, which is confusing why she would become a nurse because nurses are usually very selfless and caretakers and it's just about the work and the patients. Yeah. Um, so that is very strange for someone, um, of that nature, maybe to set herself up to be a malignant hero syndrome person, you know, it baby. So in 1988, she graduates nursing school, and that's when she starts working at the VA center. Um, She's also married to this guy named Glenn, uh, Glenn Gilbert. She had two boys. On all accounts, she liked being a mom, and she was just kind of like a basic gal, you know, a a nurse, married mom, whatever, living the life in Northampton. But then shit got wild because her and her husband would fight, and then she chased him around with a giant knife, and he had to lock himself in the room until she, like, 
had to chill. So he realized something was wrong. And the marriage just kept getting worse and worse because usually with people that love attention, when you fall in love, that's the intoxicating fun part. And then when, you know, it's just like a marriage, it gets boring and people like this get <laughs> bored. Um, I'm not married, but, you know, it's not as a, it's not as <laughs> thrilling. You know, it's not like all that oxytocin or whatever rushing to your brain all the time. So the husband started realizing something was up. You know, her craving for attention got pretty strong and she began an affair with the hospital security guard, James Farrell. And that's when Glenn filed for divorce. And so she was just like fucking the security guard and they had a really great time. And right after the affair began is when the deaths started to occur. So it all came together. Um, The first victim of this deadly, deadly nurse was Stanley Jigodowski. He was 66 years old and a veteran of the Korean War. And Dr. Blackman, who I mentioned earlier, looked at his charts. Everything was fine. He had a healthy heart and he expected him to be fine. And then all of a sudden he coded and his heart stopped beating and he was dead. And it was just You know, the doctor actually was like crying when talking about it. He's like, we weren't supposed to lose him. And he's like a very passionate, empathetic dude. Like he was like, what? You know, he was very upset by this. And so February 8th, 1995 was the second suspicious death. Um, And it was a much, much younger patient. It was a 35 year old man, Henry Hudon, and he had the flu. So they brought him into the VA hospital and they were going to like chart you know it's just a flu they were just going to deal with it and everything was going to be fine he did uh have a head injury from when he served and so he was diagnosed after that with paranoid schizophrenia but outside of that he was in very good shape with no physical conditions again dr blackman checked on him everything looked fine he went downstairs and within the hour there was a code and he was in cardiac arrest and so they began cpr and he came back And so that was amazing. And then Kristen out loud says, I wouldn't be so happy. And Dr. Blackman said, what do you even mean by that? And she goes, well, he's a schizophrenic. And so that's pretty alarming. Like, not only is that a statement that's pretty fucked, like in general, like you wouldn't want someone that has schizophrenia to live, but as a nurse and a caretaker and you're in charge of their well-being to be like, it's a shame we saved him. Like, let this person die. As a nurse, you should never be quantifying like people or like calculating people's like quality of life and their like deservedness to live. Right. Like everyone you have to try to save everyone. Yeah, that's definitely it. Because when my dad had heart surgery, he was kind of causing problems on the floor. And I talked to our friend Lindsay, who's a nurse, and she was like, they're all fucking annoying. Don't worry. I never give worse care when someone's annoying. All men right. are annoying patients. And <laughs> right. so that helped me because I was like, um, are the nurses going to smother him? Like he truly <laughs> was causing a lot of problems um, this summer at the hospital. So Dr. Blackman thought it was definitely fucked up. And then he went into cardiac arrest three more times in a six hour period. And then the third time his heart finally gave (gasps) out. And it's really upsetting. And in this episode of Snapped, they talked to Henry's sister 
who of course is so upset and she goes like with all this i mean we find out it's obviously this woman Kristen. we're not living in a mystery right now there's no i'm not i'm not hiding deets and the sister says that's what's so tough it's like when you're at war and you're in the military you know who your enemy is and it's just so much more fucked up here because you're expecting good health care at this va hospital and it's just so fucked up that you don't know who your enemy is and you're literally like to quote the title of the episode you're vulnerable like you're in the hands of these people and like they have your life in their hands it's, it's i'm very horrible. impressed how you put that together Kara. <laughs> very impressed um so february 1996 a year later a 41 year old kenneth cutting comes in and he has sepsis he's an army vet husband parent and his heart was totally fine you obviously get the pattern all these people are very healthy and Kristen says to a supervisor if this guy dies by 8 p.m can i go home early so i can go on a date <gasps> so she said this to her supervisor like if this guy croaks can i go party I just don't know how she like why I it's kind of shocking that no one is doing anything with all of these comments oh being made. God. Um, I don't. And then later that night, there is a code and he died of cardiac arrest, 41 years old and no apparent reason for death. And she got to go out. And with this. So like every time there was a code, her boyfriend, who is a security guard, but all the security guards and everyone at that hospital is trained in CPR and like, you know, resuscitating people. That's part of it and he is a first responder so the boyfriend would always be in there so like Kristen was always first in the room with these codes and the boyfriend would run in and she would like get on top of these men to give them CPR and was putting on a show for her boyfriend like she liked the attention yeah. of this guy watching her try to save these people mm -hmm. so it was also like a weird kinky game on top of murder like she, that oh. she it was all for attention from this guy as well and what was annoying is like when the news of all of this came out, the media spinned it as like this romance and really focused on this romance when it's kind of a side part to all of this. But um, yeah, so she did it to fucking flirt, um, which was fucked up. Witnesses say that she would openly flirt right in front of the struggling humans. Jesus Christ. And um, when he would do CPR, she would make comments how she liked the way his muscles moved. Classic flirting. Sicko. <laughs> Sicko, for sure. And the experts that study this case, they say that the murder, like the deaths is kind of a side effect. Like she, it wasn't like she was trying to murder. It's just like kind of what happens. It's a side effect of getting the attention, which is, I don't know. I don't know how to feel right. about that fact. It's, I mean, it's similar to the character. I don't think she was from the show. She wasn't trying to murder people. She wanted the hero worship and everything. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the coworkers started calling her angel of death, but it was just in jest and they thought she had bad luck and they didn't really believe she was killing patients. But then four weeks later, the fourth death occurs under Kristen's care. Edward Squire, a World War II veteran, he had a seizure from alcoholic withdrawal and you usually give them Valium and they get better. But later that night, he stopped breathing from a heart attack and you don't just go into cardiac arrest from a seizure. Right. They let us know that. And FYI, I'm I'm that's a crazy nickname to give a nurse. Angel of Death. <laughs> I don't care if it's like ingest. That's fucking nuts. Like you're not like, oh, we call old Bernie here the incinerator on the fire uh, like at the firehouse, you know, because he's always involved in these really, really deadly fires. Like it's just fucked up. 
It is, but this this final one made the other nurses realize this. It wasn't just some bad luck and something's yeah. going on. So one nurse started looking for evidence and what she found shocked her. Um, she checked the hazards box and inside she found three broken ampules for epinephrine with such a strong dose they would never use on that floor of the hospital. I guess those are for wow. really like intense cases. And this dose of epinephrine did not belong. And epinephrine is a synthetic heart stimulant for those wondering. Yes. And I did practice how to say epinephrine many times before we <laughs> sat down here today. So three other nurses went to the supervisors after all this. And that was the tipping point. And in, this is when investigators got involved with the case. So this is where the leap year comes in. February 29th, 1996. Um, this main investigator gets a call. They start matching the deaths to her schedule. When she worked evenings, there were spike in deaths. When she worked in the day, there was a spike in deaths. And the deaths followed her. And James, the security guard, started to believe these rumors. And so uh -oh. he... He didn't like it. Trouble so in paradise. <laughs> so when the criminal investigation heated up, he said, peace out, gal, and ended that relationship. Gilbert obviously did not take this well and said she was going to kill herself. Kristen started to panic. She had no husband, no friends, and no boyfriend. And experts believe when a person like this who believes they're in control starts to get cornered and things start cracking, they tend to do something extreme. So uh -oh, what is Kristen Gilbert going to do? September 26, 1996, she um, calls the VA Medical Center and says there are three explosive devices in the building <gasps> and they're going to explode in 25 minutes and I'll see you in hell. Oh, my God. So she calls in a bomb threat and a bomb threat is a serious thing. <laughs> in case you didn't know, in, <laughs> yeah. in case you were unaware, that's not cute. <laughs> not cute. Um, that I. That's a, I want to use that term more often. I don't say that enough. <laughs> Not cute. Um, so they evacuate 50 acutely ill patients in the cold, and it's a lot of work to get everyone out. Luckily, nobody died. There was no bomb. But this bogus threat was like the big break in the case. And what she didn't know was she was under surveillance this whole time. So <gasps> the person following her saw her go to the payphone and make this call. Who in my mind is just Stabler. It's just Stabler's in the car following her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go on. After the bomb threat, they got a warrant to search her home. So a DA was quick on their feet. And Kristen was alone in there. And she, um, they said that she was like dumbfounded and was like, whatever. I don't know. You're not going to find anything. But she's just not that smart. They found everything that they needed. They found the jacket on her bed that she was wearing when she made the call. That she was ID'd in by the surveillance guy. Um, and inside the jacket, there was operating instructions on the device to change your voice. <laughs> the like uh, the call is coming from inside the house machine that you can use. Yeah, it's actually amazing. It's, it was a talk boy. I don't know if you remember that toy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk boy. So then they find the talk boy in a box in the kid's bedroom. Um, so they have the talk boy, they have the instructions, they have the jacket, and they took a bunch of journals, computers, medical books. They took everything from there. And they took a drug book that was dog-eared on the page explaining epinephrine, which is circumstantial, but, you know, yeah, they were happy to find that. So they had all the evidence for the bomb threat, but they needed evidence to get her on these murders. Uh, but because of the bomb threat, she was sentenced to 15 months in federal penitent penitentiary. 
She was uh, sentenced to 15 months in federal penitentiary. I can't say it. Penitentiary. In a, penitentiary. In a federal penitentiary. 15 months in a federal penitentiary. I can't say it. Penitentiary. <laughs> penitentiary. Penitentiary. Pen- penitentiary. This all stays in. <laughs> yeah. Penitentiary. Okay. Yeah. 15 months in a federal penitentiary in Connecticut. You should be a speech therapist. JK, you're very good at this. Please don't go to school again. <laughs> um. So in there, there was a suicide attempt and she got a psych evaluation and they figured out that she was borderline personality disorder. Uh, Like I've said earlier, loves uh, attention, craves chaos in an arena they can manipulate to their advantage, use whatever they need to draw attention to themselves, pretend to be victims, whatever it takes to keep the focus on themselves. Uh, Jail time kept her away so they can investigate and do more interviews and just be free to dig deep. Um. Victims' bodies became the number one piece of evidence, but all the bodies had been laid to rest. But without this evidence, like they they needed the the body evidence, like in the episode of SVU, they needed to prove the epinephrine was in the body or they didn't have a solid case. So authorities decided to exhume some of the bodies and it was worth it. And they found what they were looking for. Lethal amounts of epinephrine in the body. It also showed them that um, all these patients had good hearts and without the bodies, they wouldn't be able to bring upon charges. So very um, happy that they were allowed to do that. And this case got a lot of extra media attention because since the VA hospital is federal property, she could get the death penalty, which is not allowed in Massachusetts. Wow. 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 Yeah. So she would be the first defendant in a capital felony case eligible for the death penalty since the 1950s. She did plead not guilty. And they say Kristen Gilbert had no reaction at all in the courtroom to what anybody said or did. She was deadpan and cold. Um, She was found guilty of four counts of first degree murder and three counts of attempted murder. Damn. She got life in prison, but not the death penalty. She is currently serving her life sentence in Fort Worth, Texas. After her conviction, she maintained her innocence and began a federal appeals process. But she dropped that when after a recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling would have allowed prosecutors to pursue the death penalty if she was granted a new trial. So didn't seem worth it to her. Wow. So she was like, if I go for it, I'm probably going to get convicted again and I'm going to get the death penalty. Wow. 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 Yeah. So that is the case of Kristen Gilbert. Wow. Fascinating. I mean, I there's another SVU episode um, with Jane Krakowski where she is sort of an angel of mercy, where she's killing like people that are on their death with the air embolism. Yeah, this is like such a different thing. It's like, oh, my God, the terror that people must go through having like a fucking heart attack that she brought on for them is that's really that's really bad. Yeah. And, you know, Kristen doesn't look anything like Mary Kay Place, but I imagine Mary Kay the whole time. Like, I can't I just yeah, I imagined her doing all of these murders. Wow, Lisa, amazing work. That was a really crazy story. And now let's get to our guest. (music) 
All right. We are so excited for our next guest. He's truly, we had the best time talking to him. Um, You've seen him in the Cameron Diaz movie, In Her Shoes. You've probably seen him as Franklin Winthrop on Oz. And he's literally been in every procedural you've ever heard of. Criminal Intent, NYPD Blues, CSI, et cetera, et cetera. Guys, we're so excited to talk to the worst assisted living employee of all time, Hal Shipley, Mr. Andy Powers. Can we just ask a quick logistical question? Because we weren't sure exactly of the dates, but did you work with Christopher Maloney on SVU first or when he murdered you on Oz? (laughs) Like just a few months right after he killed me on Oz, he busted me on SVU. Oh, okay, cool. So SVU was kind of a little reunion. So were you guys pals? I wouldn't say we're pals. I mean, he's, 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 an, he's a pretty intense guy on set, you know? Um, That's what we've heard. We heard he stretches a lot. <laughs> I only, the only time I ever worked with him on Oz was that episode where he kills me because I had murdered his lover's father before that. So we filmed the scene in the gym. And then I think that day we walked over to the closet where he kills me and I had to make out with him and he spits on my dead body. and. <laughs> Yeah. And then a few months Damn. later, he like puts me in handcuffs and in, in SBU. So. <laughs> wow. So I watched Oz way too young, like in junior high. That was oh, what damaged. I was watching. Yeah, And yeah, it was such a fucked show. Did you do you have memories working with J.K. Simmons? Oh, yeah. I love J.K. He He's a nice guy. Real, really nice guy. Down to earth. He was a lot of fun to be around. Him and Rick Rogers were. He were, looks like he has that energy. I would love to hang out with J.K. Simmons. Yeah, he's just sort of that nonplussed, eternally nonplussed guy. Yeah. you know. <laughs> and there's a lot of Oz SVU overlap. Do mm-hmm. you think there's something to it, or is it just New York actors booking it all? <laughs> I think at the time that you know back then there were fewer actors in New York um, because there were fewer shows. I think about my time in LA is like before and after in New York. And before I went to LA, which was like 2001, um, there were like eight or nine shows, not including soap operas filming in the entire city. And when I came back, there's, you know, 30, you know, at, at any given moment, you know, either in production pilots or something like that. Like to the point that there was literally only, three or four places that you could have a studio in New York. And now there's 30, there's like right, all right. over Brooklyn, parts of Queens. There's the still the West side where, you know, law and order has their stuff. And now there's stuff up in Yonkers, you know? So, Oh, it's, wow. Yonkers. Yeah. We shot Oz in a dilapidated Naval yard in Bayonne, New Jersey. Like it used wow. to be in the Chelsea Pier, or Chelsea market. And by the time I got there, it was, you had to have like, you know, special, you couldn't be a felon, I think, or something because it was technically still a military base. Interesting. uh, Like there were pigeons all over the place above your head. And it was pretty, it was pretty weird. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I unfortunately have never uh, watched Oz, but I did check out some screenshots of your character and that looked like a pretty, I mean, can I just say, what it says about your character. It says that you are a convicted, <laughs> a convicted rapist turned neo-Nazi crossdresser. Yeah, it was. Uh, they were trying to cover a lot of bases. That's an yeah. epic description. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. It's the only thing, you know, it's the only thing I, I, I don't really get recognized anymore. But when I, when I did, it was only from that. Didn't matter what I did. It was, <sighs> it was that. I can't believe they recognized you without the pigtails. 
I, I they do. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, just to to bring it back a little bit to SVU. So before you did SVU, like, or and then you were on another episode, like more recently. So are you a fan of the show? Do you watch it at all? I mean, or I do, and it, my wife loves it, and we. <laughs> She watches, she's watching it all the time. So that means I'm watching it. And, uh, <laughs> she's actually, I've been grandfathered into a, a friendship that she has with Raul Esparza and his wife. They've been really Ooh. close for a long time. So oh, that's exciting. Well, you should tell your wife to listen to our podcast. She'd probably love it. Oh, I did. I did. Yeah. We're, she's excited to hear it. She's downstairs right now, but our listeners are very horny for Raul. Yes. Oh, yeah. Are they? Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a sexy man. Yeah. They love him. <laughs> Um, how was doing this episode with uh, like a lot of older actors? Like, you know, it's sort of, um, a different, that's kind of a different kind of set. You were like at this nursing home set with all these, like when we first meet your character, you're like having a fight with an old man (laughs) over like a tray or something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's interesting because some of these people have been acting for 50 years, you know, and they want you to remember it. And I, now that I'm getting older, I I understand the attitude, (laughs) but you know, they don't, you know, these, these folks have been theater actors since, you know, the heyday of experimental theater in New York in the 1960s and stuff. So I just remember them being, you know, very intense, very, having that kind of layover of like Lee Strasberg stuff, getting into character to throw something at me or, you know, it was yeah, fun. Um, but I only funny. had, the, I think I only had the scene with that one guy. Uh, like I said, it was a long time ago. I guess that's true. I guess we never really see you together with the main woman of the episode. That's Jane Powell. Yeah. Yeah. She's from the, the birds. Right. Yeah. She, I, wow. I didn't get to meet her, unfortunately, but it, um, I heard she was nice. Your characters are so like entwined, but you never actually see you two together. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of. I, I was, I was kind of remiss about that. I wanted to see her. It's, <laughs> it was my mom always talked about that movie being so terrifying to her. And I was bummed. I didn't get to meet her. She's great. She was great. And then you were on Zero Tolerance recently playing a terrible person. <laughs> Do you remember? It was the ice guy. Yeah. So that little girl is so freaking cute. And then so was she just yeah. the most amazing actress? How was she crying like that? She could just turn it on. I haven't worked with kids all that much, but she took a minimum of minimal of coaching. You know, she just kind of had some, you know, a lot of times they had people on set for kids to kind of tell them where to look and you know, how to do things, but she kind of knew what she was up to. And she was really focused on trying to eat more pizza. And they kind of <laughs> like, they wanted, they didn't want her like sugar, you know, to like crash from eating too much for the, the shots and stuff. But she would, they would just start filming and it was there. I was, I was really jealous. I'm wow. not going to lie. I was like, I can't do that. That's pretty awesome. And then did you notice any changes on the set from being like season four? And then I think we're, was it season 20 was zero tolerance? Like, was it the same vibe or have things changed? No, things have changed. Okay. <laughs> you know, people are tired. It's such, I mean, it was a pretty well-doiled machine when I worked on it the first time, but the second time it was just, people can do it literally with their eyes closed. You know, they like I, ice tea was really funny. This, the second time we did it, he's just sort of this spectral presence that's never around. And somebody will ask like, okay, where, where's ice tea? We, or, you know, we've got to shoot. And suddenly he's there and you don't remember when he left or how he got back. <laughs> and he's just there and he's like half asleep. And then he just kind of wakes up and does his lines and he does it like one or two takes and he's done. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's really interesting. 
And then this is another crazy question for this being so long ago, but was that a real cigarette you were smoking or what do you smoke on set? Oh no, that was real back then. I was, cool. I think it was, <laughs> I mean, there was, no, I think, yeah. Cause I can't, I'm allergic to like all the catnip and crap they put in the fake cigarettes. So I, I was still a smoker. I was saying, I was telling Lisa, the fake ones are almost worse. Like they hurt your throat a lot. They keep you from smoking. Yeah. They're awful, but they're, and they're orange too, or something. I was still a hardcore smoker back then. So I had no problem. No problem. Yeah. You need another take. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. And you got to flip your shit and like kick stuff. That was fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can tell you're a good actor because you really are coming across like a very nice down to earth guy. And your character was like psycho. Like, I mean, he just was like, I just snapped. It's like snapping is one thing. Burning an old lady all over her body with a cigarette is quite another. Like you, you really, (laughs) but you really gave us the character. So great job. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, don't, if somebody actually does that, don't hire them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> a good rule of thumb. Well, and now we have a game. You've been on a lot of cop shows. So we're going to ask, like, <laughs> if you needed help, what police group would you want to show up to help you? You get to choose from Third Watch, Criminal Intent, CSI, Blue Bloods, NYPD Blue, or SVU. I think I'd go with 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 NYPD Blue. <laughs> okay, you want Dennis Franz showing up? <laughs> he's so tough. He's so tough. He's a sweetheart, but he is so tough. He has that Chicago like toughness that just exudes from him. And when I shook his hand, it was like a rock with fingers. You know, it was. <laughs> I remember it hurt. You know, and Damn. I'm a lot, and, and he's much. You you think he's like Danny DeVito, small? Yes. And he's not, he's almost, he's like almost six feet tall and he's stocky and really, really, really strong. So I'd probably vote. I'd probably ask him to come because he kind of bends the rules. So he would probably like, you know, vehemently come to my defense if I had to call him, you know, versus <laughs> someone who goes just by the book. Yeah. it's a great answer. Yeah, He's got stabler vibes for sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for to talking us. to this us. Awesome. I don't know if you have any uh, last minute SVU memories you want to share with us, but this has been great. You can throw in an Oz one for me. But... <laughs> You'll probably edit this out. But the, the Oz story is that when he killed me, he had this idea to jerk off over my dead body. I'm sorry. Can I say that? Yes. On your podcast? Yes, yeah, of course. You can absolutely say that. So, they, you know, the ADs quickly got like a, a nudity waiver, like sent over so he could sign it. And then after he kills me, I, I think they cut it from the episode, but when he kills me, my eyes are closed because I'm there dead with my, my neck broken and he jerks off on my dead body and he spit on me, but I didn't know he had spit. I'm just hearing the, the sort of <laughs> activity going on. And so I got up and, you know, and you know how you're just kind of like checking your person when you get up from laying on the floor and my hand touched my, my leg and it was wet. <laughs> and so I didn't think it was spit. And I looked at him and I was like, Oh my, like, did you, and he instantly like burnt the whole crew, like burst out laughing at me over that. Cause I was convinced for a second that he, he went all the way. I don't think we are going to cut that because oh, I think people are going to love that story. Um, okay, good. <laughs> but also for, but he had been nude on that show so much. Do you have to sign a clause every episode that you're nude? I, I, I guess so. I mean, I've never, so I'm not wild. Chris Maloney. Nobody asks me to take my clothes off, but you know. <laughs> Hi, welcome to our postmortem. I do 
I have I'm obsessed with Andy Powers. I will say that. I know you. Did you ever ask? Did you ask him the question about the boy band or did you not? I don't know. We when we were coming up with questions for him, you were like, I want to ask him if he's ever been approached to be in a boy band. <laughs> <laughs> no, I probably got embarrassed, but he was great. And the tidbit with uh, thinking Maloney came all over him is a gift that will never leave us. The blogs need to pick that up with Maloney's <laughs> butt doing what it's doing in the press. I think we need to hear about that. Um, I guess from this episode, I learned that there are psychotic people working in all kinds of professions. I mean, like tripping off, killing people so that you can save them and feel good about yourself is truly that's another level. It is. Yeah. I think I learned that if um, a nurse makes j- little jokes about the patients dying, she should get a review. You Something's know what I mean? up. Yeah. That's yeah. red flag city. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think it should just be let go. So I think I learned that. Yeah. And if you're like dating a woman who is you work with and she gets turned on by you doing chest compressions on people or tries to do chest compressions in a sexual way for you. Um, I know she sounds like freaky and fun, but I think you need to move on. I would say, like, don't bring a friend to a party that's going to burn your grandmother's crotch. You know, I don't really feel like the show gave that enough weight. He's like, I just freaked out. And then I burn. It's like on her chest. Maybe I could almost get that. But then you I just I can't. It's uh, whatever. I mean, also, if you go into a garbage can, maybe wear some booties. I would say that. And be kind to old people for fuck's sake. Stop trying to get your grandma to write you checks and shit when she doesn't know where she is. No, my friend Ken used to have a funny joke where it's like some old lady was like, you pray on the elderly. And he went, ma'am, everyone prays on the elderly. (laughs) And I always laugh about that. Um, But yeah, people are so not nice to old people. It's really fucked up. And the whole living assist, like, that whole like nursing homes is that a, I don't know what to say what is it I mean well there's a, there's a difference I mean there is nursing homes and then there's like assisted living like assisted living is you're a little bit more independent and like you can kind of go on and like do your day you have like your own apartment and stuff this is probably more of a nursing home actually now that I say it so for me it's just so twisted that it's like a money-making thing and people are cutting corners of like the end of someone's life trying to fuck them over and um it's just really sad I don't like it at all. Definitely. And I feel like this one is a little bit. I haven't actually seen it, but have you seen that movie? I care a lot. No, but I watched Trixie and Katya watch it on their Netflix show and talk okay. about it. I so, want to watch it, but I think that, that this also has to do with like elder abuse and um, just kind of timely this episode, like talking about this episode, because that movie's been getting like award nominations and stuff I like that. I hated it. I hated it <laughs> so much. I'm so curious after you watch it. I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch. Just watch Trixie and Katya watch it. I think it's enough. <laughs> they show you the ending. They show you all the good stuff. They show you some Diane Weiss highlights. We also learned that Bess's son, the actor Jay Thomas, has passed away. And we were talking harshly about his character in the show, but a very great actor. And um, we hope he's resting in peace. And also the woman who plays B- Bitsy, Bitsy or Itsy, the main one. Bess, yeah. Bess. She was like in Fred Astaire movies. She is so she was very accomplished. So many credits and was like a dancer in the heyday of that kind of yeah, movie. Yeah, so. for sure. Still alive, I believe. Yes. OK, so Annalise edited it. So I didn't talk about her in the past tense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, she she is killing it. Um, don't be too nice. Yeah. Too polite, too fake, too friendly. Something's up under there. 
You know what I mean? Does that not make sense? <laughs> no. What part are you talking about? Like Mary Kay place was very much like, oh, oh hi, yeah. I'm just here to take care of everyone. That's mm-hmm. shit. That's not, I don't trust politeness. I don't, I don't need that in my life. If you're putting on some kind of nice act, you got a lot to hide and I see right through it. I hope you help Jared pick out a home for me one day. Cause sounds like you're not going to take any shit. No, I'm I, <laughs> no, I, hopefully not. I mean, my parents constantly are like, please don't put us in a home. Please my mom's been saying, please don't put me in a home my entire life to me. We used to volunteer at a nursing home together and she'd be like, please don't put me in here, please. And it was like the, <laughs> one of the nicest ones too. It was like a nice one in my town. <laughs> no, it's fucked. Well, it was a great episode and we learned a lot. Now let's move into our What Would Sister Peg Do segment. This is our weekly segment where we point you towards some resources, books, articles, people that can um, help give you a little bit more information about some of the topics that we've touched on today. Um, So the character in uh, Vulnerable Bess, I don't believe she actually is diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but um, we are going to direct you to the Alzheimer's Association to an info sheet they have about abuse, um, types of elder abuse, signs of it, how to report it. Um, The website is www.alz.org, where you can obviously donate and learn more about Alzheimer's. But um, the specific link to this info sheet will be in our show notes. And my little cousin in California created um, a charity called Care for the Givers Project, and it helps um, support caregivers of loved ones um, that have Alzheimer's and dementia. So it's about like self-care and caring for the people that care because his grandpa uh, died this past year. That's really cool that he started his own organization. We'll put both of those in our show notes so you'll have all that info there. I think you'll be excited about this. Yeah, I didn't even plan on this, but here I am just being a a grade A relative. The best cousin of all time. (laughs) All right. And next week's episode is going to be Identity. You've called and we are responding. It is season six, episode 12, Identity. Um, You can obviously get that, as we always tell you, on Peacock, on Hulu, buy the DVDs. And um, yeah, email us, message us, keep talking to us. I did get a message from someone saying, I love the way you say peacock. And I'm like, I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) That's like I called you out this weekend for how you say vodka. You say vodka. Um, (laughs) But you are Russian, so I think you probably are right. Um, That's all for us today, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>